You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rathke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Welcome back to listeners of The Zeitgeist. Uh, I'm Jeff Rathke, president of AICGS, the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies. And we are coming to you today from the new AICGS World Headquarters. We have moved and we are now at 1776 Massachusetts Avenue Northwest in Washington, D.C., and we are really liking our new accommodations. I'm joined today by AICGS Senior Fellow and Director of our program on Society, Culture, and Politics, Dr. Eric Langenbacher. Eric, Great to have you with us for your first uh, recording of the Zeitgeist. It's wonderful to be here. And I'm sure it won't be the last. Um, now, Eric has a new book out, which he's going to tell us about in a second, but that's not the main reason we're here. But what's your new book, Eric? Uh, it's called Twilight of the Miracle Era, Power and Politics in Germany after the 2017 Bundestag election. Uh, it's an edited volume. We have uh, experts on all aspects of German politics and foreign policy, from across the United States, from Germany, and uh, elsewhere in the world. So we've kind of brought them together to very deeply analyze what went on in the 2017 Bundestag election, and then also what the future of German politics will likely look like as uh, Angela Merkel's long tenure as chancellor starts to come to an end. It will be flying off the bookshelves, so get your copy now, um, and uh, and I'm sure you will find it edifying uh, as, uh, as I have. So... Um, but Eric's not on book tour uh, right now. We're here to talk uh, about something that happened just over the weekend. Uh, on September 1st, there were elections in two uh, of Germany's federal states, Saxony and Brandenburg, both of which are uh, in the part of Germany that used to be East Germany. Almost 30 years later, it's a little bit hard to call them the new states. Uh, and so in these two eastern German states, um, there were state elections. And let's start off, Eric, you know, what do you, who do you think was the big winner um, in, uh, in these elections? So I'm going to disagree with a lot of the reportage on okay. these elections uh, because almost everybody has been stressing how well the alternative for Germany, the AFD, did. And That's we can, the, for the far right party. Yes. And we can, we can talk about that a little later on. But for me, I think the most important headline is how well the established parties ended up doing at the very end. I mean, polling several weeks before Election Day showed that the SPD in Brandenburg, the kind of incumbent governing party, and the CDU and Saxony, also the incumbent, uh, were uh, polling very poorly. But over the last week or so, they really kind of surged and end up, ended up winning in both of their respective states. So I think that the, the kind of comparative victory of the established incumbents is one of the most important kind of takeaways from um, these elections. I would also add that the left party, Die Linke, which has been very strong in Eastern Germany since reunification, did abysmally this time, losing 8% in Saxony and losing um, just under 8% in Brandenburg. So the collapse of the left, I think, is also a very important takeaway. Um, and, well, I, I think that's, uh, that's a good place uh, for, for us to start because there is this broader phenomenon over the last... 
30 years, really, in Germany of declining support for the so-called Volksparteien, you know, the, 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 big, the big tent parties, the CDU on the center right and the SPD on the center left. And that trend continued in these elections. Uh, both parties did more, uh, did more poorly than they had in the previous elections in 2014, but yet they were able to preserve um, their first place um, standing and then to preserve their flexibility and their ability to form a government. And I think that is a big, uh, a big uh, story um, because we, we see it not only in Saxony and Brandenburg, the same thing happened in the city-state of Bremen um, at the end of May, where the Social Democrats had ruled for more than 70 years, and uh, people thought they were going to lose. Um, well, they did lose in a way, but they were still able to form a government. So do we see something happening in German politics, which is um, the big parties adjusting to their declining support, but also at the same time, coming up with more flexibility to remain um, in power um, despite uh, lower results. You know, what's interesting is given the electoral system that Germany uses, which is um, a mixed member proportional system, but is very proportional in the end, it's amazing that the, the two elephants, as we often call them, the SPD and the CDU-CSU, did as well as they did for as long as they did. So one could say that what we're seeing now, which is a much more fragmented party system, was inevitable. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that part of that has to do with the decline of the churches and unions as the main kind of like social um, uh, supports for the two um, uh, uh, Volksparteien. Um, but yeah, I think that inevitably they're going to have to become more flexible. They're going to have to become savvier when it comes to different partisan constellations. And um, yeah, so it's a, you're, you're right to point out that that's a very important trend. Well, and, and I think we'll come back to this, uh, th this in, in one moment, but I do want to spend a, a minute also talking about the AFD, because um, I agree with you that you know, the, the AFD is a big story, but it's not the only story in these elections. Um, I, I think a lot of this depends on your reference point, because if you look at, uh, if you compare the AFD result in Brandenburg and Saxony to their results at the last state election, which was in 2014, um, then it looks dramatic. You see the AFD going from 12% to 24% in Brandenburg, or you see them going from 10% to 28% in Saxony. These are dramatic shifts. On the other hand, um, you know, we've known at least since the 2017 Bundestag elections that the AFD um, had firmly established itself on the German party landscape and uh, was not going away anytime soon. And that it's especially strong in Eastern Germany. So just to give a little bit more context, uh, in Saxony at the 2017 Bundestag election, the AFD got 27% of the second votes, the kind of all-important second votes. In this election, they got 27.5 in Saxony. So over a two-year period, their support went up 0.5%. Now in Brandenburg, uh, they were um, only only at 20.2% at the uh, Bundestag election, and now they're at 23.5. So they've gone up about 3%. So despite the AFD seizing upon issues, pushing certain issues to into the mainstream, whipping up support amongst uh, some voters. They only really have increased by 0.5 and 3 um, mm -hmm. from the last major election back in 2017. So 
I think that, that, that we need to think about the AFD no longer surging, but maybe even plateauing, even in Eastern Germany, where they're increasingly taking on the kind of protest party and East German, Eastern German identity um, right. kind of uh, uh, dynamic. And, and, and I think, um, you know, it's, it's also, uh, you know, it's, you can look at this in one way as a ceiling. In other words, maybe the AFD's potential is really not significantly greater in the East than 25%. That's, you know, that's significant, but it is, um, it is not enough to lead a government, especially when all the other parties are unwilling to work with them. Um, or if you look at this nationally, the AFD has been between 12 and 14% uh, in opinion polls basically for two years. Um, so maybe there is a ceiling there um, that will be hard for them to uh, exceed. Uh, but I think we're also observing a change in the ways that the other parties deal with the issues the AFD has profited from. So, you know, you can't just assume a static uh, remaining uh, portion of the of the political spectrum. They are also finding ways to address issues and try to appeal to those people who have been voting for the AFD. Yeah, that's a good point. But there will be limits to what they can do. So mm-hmm. what are the big issues that the AFD ran on in Brandenburg and in parts of Saxony is brown coal. So right. you have the, the brown coal area in the Lausitz region. And, you know, Germany's trying to move away from coal-based uh, uh, energy provision. And the AFD really kind of seized upon that issue to try to gain support. And it worked in many of these regions. But, I mean, the, the major parties are so committed to the Energiewende mm-hmm. and to move away from coal that they're not going to be able to budge on that. It's yeah. a great example of the AFD seizing upon certain wedge issues and really kind of going with it. Um, it is true that many people fear that especially the CDU in places like Saxony has moved farther to the right thanks to the issues that the um, AFT has pushed. But I personally think that that's a little overstated, that I don't think they've mm-hmm. moved as far to the right as some people fear. And um, yeah, I mean, if we take migration, for instance, according to one poll, it was only the AFD voters that cared about migration. About yeah. 34% said that played a big role in their decision. For the CDU and SPD voters, it was 2% said that migration is a big issue. So I don't know. I don't think that there's going to be too much of a shift to the right, to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would add, too, and this is an idea that I've kind of toyed with a little bit, not yeah. just in the German context, but elsewhere, that you know the economy until relatively recently has been doing really well in Germany. It's been doing re- very well in the United States. Yet we see these kind of populist kind of right-wing parties surging. And I can't help but think that that voters will only vote for these parties when things are going so well for the issues that really matter, like economic management. So it's possible, like I said, I'm just toying with this idea, but it's possible that once the economy really does go south and that you need uh, real adults in the room, so to say, to you know deal with the crisis, that their support could decline from, from then onwards. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's an important, especially now since uh, Germany has had one quarter of, of economic contraction and depending on what the results are in the um, in the third quarter, you could actually have a recession um, uh, in Germany, uh, and how that will affect the outlook of voters. You know, there will be 
a, another state election happening in uh, Thuringen, in Thuringia, another eastern German state, at the end of October. Uh, and, and then as we get into the end of the year, there will be another, a number of other political developments happening that will allow us to assess whether uh, the economic prospects um, actually lead to a reversion to the reliable, dependable parties in the center um, who may not be as edgy, but at the same time have delivered um, you know, a fairly good economic performance uh, over the last couple of decades for Germany. Um, one phenomenon I think that we observe in these state elections and that we've seen in other places is the, the fact that, you, that no party can uh, can form a two-party coalition uh, anymore. That looks like it will be the case in both Brandenburg and Saxony. So at the state level, you've often had these kinds of experiments, but I think we're likely to see that as, a, as an emerging um, phenomenon uh, that in both places you will need not only three parties, but perhaps three parties that don't really have a history of working together. So, for example, the CDU with the SPD and the Greens is one uh, is one possibility that could present itself in, in Saxony. In fact, it's the only apparent apparently viable um, uh, arrangement. But this is not something that they have a history of doing. So, I think there's going to be some new ground that will have to be uh, um, uh, tested um, as we as we go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an, another really interesting um, uh, development in recent years in Germany. Um, but once again, there's a there's a famous analysis of the German political system that refers to it as the grand coalition state, mm-hmm. right? That the whole nature of the German political system forces different parties to work together in a kind of consensus model of democracy. I think that 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 can be very good because it forces very different partisans to have to get along and negotiate and compromise. But I do fear that that could be something that salvages the the AFD. Yeah. And to a lesser extent, the left party, although I think they're starting to lose, especially in Eastern Germany, their kind of protest um, uh, nature. But um, the AFD is going to spin these three-party coalitions as an excellent example of, quote-unquote, the establishment, you know, kind of colluding to go against the will of the people, which, of course, they think that they kind of represent. So, you know, as much as I think there's good reasons to think that the AFD has you know, reached its peak or is plateauing. Uh, there are some circumstances that the very clever politicians in the AFD could exploit to at least maintain, if not slightly increase, their their ceiling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing is foreordained. And uh, in the same way that it's erroneous in some of the analysis to to kind of project outward the, you know, continuously growing AFD support and then to assume that eventually they will take power, uh, in one way or another, at least at the state level, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you you can't just assume that uh, that that things will uh, things will remain stagnant. Um, we'll talk uh, a little bit more in our conversation about what these elections tell us about the East uh, in in quotation marks, which uh, which people often apply to. Um, the former states of uh, East Germany. Um, but before we do that, maybe we talk a little bit about the national uh, effect of this, because it seems to me that that one of the big one of the big winners uh, out of this election, actually, um, well, two big winners. One is uh, Angela Merkel, um, because now her coalition at the at the federal level with the SPD uh, appears a whole lot more stable. 
Um, and the second one is Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, the new leader of the Christian Democratic Party, also the defense minister, um, who had a bit of a rocky start as leader of the Christian Democrats. And so at a minimum, a strong result in Saxony, which has always been a stronghold of the CDU, um, should allow her to breathe easy at least for uh, a short period of time um, because they, they did pretty well. I, I agree 100%. Um, I think that uh, it was possible when one was speculating about what would happen uh, last Sunday in these states, it was possible that a different outcome could have unsettled national politics. Uh, but I think that the outcome that we got is 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 going to solidify at least what's been happening, that this uh, grand coalition at the national level will continue to muddle through. And in fact, they might even gain a little bit of support. I was reading somewhere that about 50% of the um, coalition agreement has already been implemented from a policy perspective. Mm -hmm. So this might give Germans a chance to look at the performance of the current government in a more positive light. Well, and it's you know, there's been a similar phenomenon just with the the views of Merkel as chancellor. Um, ever since uh, she announced that she would uh, step down as leader of the Christian Democratic Party, um, her her numbers have only uh, improved. And I think the more people start to uh, get their minds around the idea of a Germany that is not led by Merkel, the more people appreciate the uh, the qualities that she brings uh, to the job. Uh, and and so there's been this. Uh, curious, um, uh, you know, increase increase in support. Uh, if we if we look about look at this from the point of view of the Social Democratic Party, the SPD, uh, the, they have been uh, you know, riven over the last couple of months by by a number of national level um, issues that have uh, you know that people have been looking for a barometer um, in the state elections. First, it was the their poor performance in the European Parliament elections uh, at the end of May. Second was the resignation soon thereafter of Andrea Nalles, who was the chairperson of the Social Democratic Party. Um, and so now they are in a situation where they have to select a new leadership. And, and they're doing so at a time when there have been fundamental questions in the party about whether being in government, being part of this grand coalition with Merkel, is in the interest of the party. Uh, and so I think, you know, it, just to kind of recap where, where this w will, will head, there, uh, yes, on Sunday was the deadline for new leadership um, contestants to register. There are eight pairs of leaders uh, who are going to run for, for this job. I think there are three maybe that are wor really worth uh, highlighting. One is Olaf Scholz, the finance minister, um, who entered that race uh, fairly late, but he is certainly the most prominent um, and uh, the, the one uh, member of the cabinet who is now running for leadership. I think it's fair to say he is a centrist and a supporter of the Grand Coalition. Um, so he is one, um, and maybe at one end of the spectrum, you have at the other end of the spectrum, um, Karl Lauterbach, who is a health policy expert for the SPD, running along with Nina Scher. And they, you know, their platform is basically, we should get out of this Grand Coalition. So I think as we see the um, the regional conferences and the internal party deliberations um, between now and the end of October, uh, I think this um, uh, this internal party argument 
Um, should we stay in government? Should we try to redefine ourselves as an opposition party and get our edge back? Um, that is going to be the big the big issue for the for the next uh, two months uh, it, within the within the SPD. All of this leads up to a party conference in Berlin at the end of De- sorry early in December, where the party will do two things. One, they will say who their new leaders are going to be, and then the second. Um, they're going to um, uh, decide on whether to stay in the Grand Coalition. So I think those are a couple of uh, big mileposts out there for the SPD, and that the elections this past weekend may calm things down a little bit. Um, let's turn to, um, to the question of East versus West, because I think a lot of the, the media analysis of these elections, Eric, has, has really... Um, tried to describe uh, the AFD as the party that represents Eastern interests, um, and 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 I think that's uh, you know th- that only scratches the surface. So so how do you how do you see this East West divide? To what degree is this is this a real a real thing, and to what degree does it mask um, other more important uh, trends in German politics? In your view. So what I think is really interesting is uh, all the attention has been uh, redirected to east-west differences in Germany. But people are also looking at east-west differences or north-south differences within these eastern German states. So some of the most interesting maps that I saw um, looking at the results from from Sunday showed how in um, Brandenburg, for instance, the northern and the western regions voted heavily for the SPD, and the eastern and southern regions voted heavily for the AFD. In Saxony, you see a similar divide, with the AFD doing much better towards the east and towards the west, uh, the CDU still doing much better. And so one of the questions is, what's going on within each of these states as well? So some people have speculated that the western regions of both Brandenburg and Saxony are closer to western German states, Mm -hmm. like um, uh, Lower Saxony or Bavaria in, in many cases, whereas the AFD heavy regions towards the east abut Poland or the Czech Republic. I read somewhere that there are still fears about um, crime that's uh, um, crossing borders and that this might be one of the reasons. I think it's also true that, that these regions are a little bit more economically marginalized. Right. And if you look at the demographics of uh, Eastern Germany overall, they have some major challenges in terms of maintaining the viability of communities. 1.9 million people have emigrated from Eastern Germany to the West and Berlin uh, since reunification. Which from is, a country that was 17 million approximately yeah. in population. So that's a, that's a huge uh, uh, figure. If you think about it from a kind of broader perspective, there are few regions in the world that have ever experienced such a massive kind of demographic shift so closely. And so a lot of these communities are, are struggling. They can't maintain basic services anymore. Um, governments have to start thinking about, well, how do you ration resources? If you don't have a critical mass to maintain a hospital then you have to think about how you're going to manage these things under such shrunken demographic circumstances. And I think a lot of that is also fueling discontent. Mm -hmm. Some people have talked about a new embitterness disorder, Um, but there there are good structural reasons to explain why people are feeling kind of left behind. And now, what I would like to add to that is that these are places that desperately need newcomers. 
Yeah. They're probably not going to get Germans moving there, just given the nature of the German economy elsewhere. But they could really benefit from migration. Yeah. Yet these also seem to be places, given their support for the AFD and how strongly the AFD feels about migration, one can extrapolate that they also have issues with migration, even though paradoxically they need migrants more than almost any other parts of the country. Right. And, and I think that's, you know, th- th- this is not just a, a German or an Eastern German phenomenon. I think that's uh, something that's also important to remember if you, you know, it, Ivan Krastev uh, has written a book uh, about this uh, among many other analysts. And that is that you see support for uh, far right um, populist parties like the AFD, but not only the AFD, um, as especially strong in places that are in demographic decline um, and that are economically, um, I I wouldn't use the word disadvantaged, but that are, uh, you know, structurally um, changing. So it is not income levels or unemployment levels that best um, uh, correlate with AFD support in in Germany or in Eastern Germany. It's this demographic change. So it's the places where population has left um, and these kinds of uh, fundamental questions that you described uh, are are on the agenda. Um, so, so I, th- and I, th- and it's, it's quite differentiated across the East. So I think, uh, I, I would certainly share your view that to, to call the AFD an Eastern phenomenon only, um, is, uh, is, is far too, um, shallow. Uh, at the same time, as the AFD's locus of support becomes, uh, the East, those state party organizations are going to carry increasing weight within the party. Um, So the AFD, even if Easterners don't see the AFD as their party, the AFD may increasingly see itself as an Eastern party, which I think is going to have uh, also have serious implications um, as far as their appeal in other parts of Germany. Uh, how, how do you see that uh, developing? Well, that's an excellent point. Uh, what are the other exit poll results that I saw, I think from Saxony, um, asked people, you know, what's the East German kind of identity party? And the AFD was number one. Um, and then closely behind was the, the left party, which for 30 years was that East German identity party. So whether the AFD likes it or not, they really are increasingly taking on an, an Eastern hue, one might say. And I, I think I would also add that a lot of their most prominent politicians uh, who are also quite controversial are coming from the East. Yeah, I'm thinking about this Andreas Kalbitz in Brandenburg or um, Bjorn Höcke from um, Thuringia who will be very much more in the news as the um, Thuringian elections come up um, in October. So, uh, yeah. And just for our listeners who don't know, these are two politicians who have been very closely associated in the past, uh, and in Hooke's case, in the present, with uh, not just far right, but I would say right extreme um, uh, views. Uh, Kalbitz, it turned out, uh, participated uh, in uh, in an event in Greece, uh, which was attended by neo-Nazis 10 years ago. Uh, That news came out just before the election. Maybe it didn't come out um, far enough before the election for it to have an impact 
although it also leads raises questions in one's mind. You know, if people know that and they still vote for the AFD, um, you know, you can't just dismiss that as uh, you know economic or demographic desperation. Um, it, it does uh, it does raise serious questions. You know, something else that I would add is that the AFD has been highly fragmented and fractionalized from the very beginning. They seem to have these periodic purges of various leaders and various tendencies within the party. Uh, one of the ascendant factions within the AFD now is called the Wing, mm-hmm. der Flügel. And it was Höcke and others like him that, that were the biggest kind of um, supporters of that. So if that's the future of the AFD, then it, it, it really is um, disconcerting because uh, the Flügel was one of the organizations that the um, Bundesverfassungsschutz, right? So kind of like the, the, the German version of the FBI, um, investigated and said, you know, there's a flag here that we need to look at. They also, by the way, flagged the Junge Alternative, so the youth group within the AFD as another um, potentially troubling kind of group within the AFD. So... Um, it, it's a it's a it, it's a, a very complex party these days. It is taking on a more eastern hue, and it also seems to be moving in a more xenophobic direction as well, as exemplified by the flugel. Yeah. So um, which uh, you know, and there's uh, I don't want to draw too close a connection to Die Linke, but you know there the the left party um, which has been around for 30 years under various names you know tried uh, and never really succeeded in establishing a firm foothold in the west in part because of its association it is the successor party to the SED um, and 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 that limited its appeal in the west and I you know it will be um, you know something to watch whether the AFD's future development if it becomes more Eastern and more xenophobic, um, does that uh, then sort of shrink their appeal um, in the West because it's no longer, um, uh, you know, going to have the same uh, kind of overtones, uh, quite different. I I definitely agree with you that that's something to see, their kind of differential performance in the East and the West. But we also shouldn't forget that um, a lot of the Easterners in um, Bindestrie are actually um, imports from the West, right? Like Hooker himself. And the other thing that I would add to, which I think is different with the AFD than with the Linke, is that there is a, a, an alarmingly dense infrastructure on the right uh, with Western roots, with some Eastern roots that um, is supporting the AFD and its, and its, I guess, vision in so many different ways. And the left never had that kind of even intellectual infrastructure. Mm-hmm. If you think about the so-called new right in Germany, if you think about publications like Junge Freiheit, yes. I mean, these have been around for a while and, and uh, could help the AFD maintain itself um, perhaps going forward. Okay. And you know, as we wrap up here, I would just like to touch on uh, on one other thing, which is you know, the remaining parties. We haven't really talked much. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Die Linke, which, uh, as as you said, Eric, and I agree, suffered a, a you, what I think you can call a collapse uh, in support that is alarming to the party um, and uh, that I think people don't fully understand yet. Um, but also uh, the Greens and the FDP. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Greens in public opinion nationally have been flying high, you know, between 22 and 24 percent, even coming close to um, first place in some national polls. Um, and they underperformed their polls in both Brandenburg and Saxony. 
Um, and uh, it's uh, I, what, what do you think may be behind that? Uh, what should we be looking at there? Well, I mean, the, the one thing that I would say is, yes, they underperformed some of their polls, but there was a lot of movement in the polls over the last seven to 10 days before the election. But they still, they increased their uh, support level in Brandenburg by over four and a half percent. In Saxony, just under 3%. So these were, you know, not insignificant gains. Uh, but you're right, they uh, are comparatively disappointing given their national polling. Uh, but the Greens have never been a big force in Eastern Germany. They just, they never were able to find traction yep. in the East German electorate. The Greens, of course, were the quintessential development of, you know, West German bourgeois. Um, politics going back to the 1970s and the 1980s. Yeah. And that's a that's a, a kind of demographic slice that doesn't exist in Eastern Germany uh, to the same degree. So the Greens have struggled for 30 years to make inroads, and it seems that they're doing slightly better, but they have a, a hard slog uh, in front of them. But I'm glad that you also brought up the FDP because nobody's really devoting any attention to them. But, um, you know, the FDP is in opposition nationally. You'd think they'd be able to ride that a little bit in these uh, eastern uh, states, but they, they failed to make the parliament in both. Yeah. Right. Although in Brandenburg, they were up 2.6%, but only came in at 4.1. And in Saxony, they were up less than a percent and came in at 4.5. Yeah. So I think that's really a question that 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 party and analysts of German politics really have to ask themselves. Why is the FTP not gaining more traction mm-hmm. in national polls as well? They they've been stagnant. And I think they're just around where they were at at the 2017 election. So. Yeah. It's a real question. It's a real um, interesting question why they haven't been able to capitalize on some of the issues or discontent that you see elsewhere in the electorate. Yeah, I think, yeah, for the FDP, as you, as you say, they've never been super strong in the East. And so uh, a bad result there is not going to be, um, you know, uh, a systemic threat to, to them or and in, in it's certainly an annoyance, at least to the party leadership. Uh, the Greens, I, the only thing that I take away from this beyond what you've said is that, you know, people who look at national polls and do the math and tell themselves that a uh, CDU Green uh, coalition um, is a is is a good uh, you know a, a good chance of happening after the next election should probably take with a grain of salt the Greens uh, polling they often uh, you know get results that are a little bit less than their their polling and and I think that's uh, worth keeping in mind as well well this has been a uh, fascinating conversation uh, not just about a couple of regional elections but what they mean for Germany as a whole what things we should be looking out for in the coming months um, and going Going into next year uh, on the German political scene, and uh, and to what extent uh, you know the the growth of the far right um, explains or doesn't explain uh, what's happening at the at the uh, larger level in Germany. So I want to thank you, Eric, for joining me um, for the first time, but not the last time here on the Zeitgeist. And uh, thanks to all of our listeners out there. And we look forward to being back with you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Zeitgeist a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören!